0: A lot of you have asked how my vacation, our vacation was, and we had a very nice vacation. And uh, this time last Sunday, we were in uh, the Atlanta area, and uh, I baptized our seventh grandchild. And so that, that was a very nice, wonderful cap to our vacation last week. One of the things that happened while we were on vacation uh, is that uh... the cubs won the world series <laughs> and uh... I don't, I don't know if you saw any of the games or if you saw the parade afterwards uh... it, it was pretty amazing for that city and for lifelong cubs fans uh... who'd been over a hundred years without uh... A world uh... victory in the world series um, and there was quite a celebration and as you watch the games think about this, the, the kind of uh, unity that it, it brought to people, the identity of uh, people in Chicago and I will have to say not the south side of Chicago because they're Sox fans and they still root against the Cubs uh, uh, and that's how it works in that town but what, what happens when you, when you watch that game and when you Uh, see these millions of people turn out for the the celebration in the streets you see their identity we love the Cubs they're wearing blue or blue uh, pinstripes or maybe white with uh, Cubs insignia on it so they're all they're all basically dressed alike they have the same kind of traditions, their great seventh inning stretch tradition there. Every stadium does it, but it's different in Chicago. And then when they win a game, uh, they all sing the same song. And uh, I made the mistake of looking it up to see what are the, what are the words of this song, and uh, I, I still can't get it out of my head now. So if you want to know the words of their the Cubs song, I can... Uh, I can tell you later. So there's that strong identity, and yet, this week, some of the same people, I presume, are protesting in the street. And they would be protesting against, uh, perhaps, some people who had voted different than them who might have been at at that same Cubs celebration. And so today, we are going to see how Paul talks about an identity. But it is an identity that is far different than what I've just described to you. By the way, I was going to use... College football, Game day and our two teams. I thought this wouldn't be a good day to do that, but I <laughs> had to go back a week to the Cubs, so But Paul is, Paul is describing an identity that doesn't just last for a, a day or a game, a few hours of a game, or even a season. He talks about an identity that lasts a lifetime, and then into eternity. Now, that's a big thing. So, let's give our attention to uh, this text. Um, I'm going to just read, we'll we'll go back to some of the context, but I'm just going to pick up with the verses that we're going to look at today, down in uh, verse 9, where... He had just said, two weeks ago we talked about this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we had talked about the, the, uh, those who would identify with the flesh and those who would identify with the Spirit. And then he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, who dwells in you this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. let's bow together father will you open up this um, ever so brief passage to us and will you teach us today of this this identity and what it means for us and in us. And there are people here, Lord, that need encouragement from you for various reasons. Will you do that today? Will you cause your comforter, the Holy Spirit, to move among us? And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it was stick to the text and avoid heresy, I think, okay, and preach the gospel. All good advice. Let's take a look at this text, verse, verse 9, we, we see just what I was talking about, and that is the the Christ follower's identity. He says, You, however, and we're going to connect this back, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, Paul had previously made clear the difference between the the fleshly worldview, we we talked about these as worldviews, and the spiritual worldview, and how those are absolute contrasts and that there's no in-between. And you can't have one foot in each, each of those worldviews or worlds you can, you can try and you can pretend to, but that's not the way, the way it works. So, this one talks about the Holy Spirit. The question would have to be, well, how does one get the Holy Spirit? And this passage answers that question. This verse explains that having union with Christ... Remember earlier in Romans we had talked about you you in essence have union with Adam or you have union with Christ. And so having union with Christ, trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life, Paul explains is how we get the Spirit. Now, notice what he does. He alternates between calling the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of God, he calls him the Spirit of God one time, and the next time he calls him the Spirit of Christ. And so what we're seeing here is some, some of the doctrine of the Trinity. He, you know, I, don't, I don't think he goes a, a verse without getting into the theological uh, concepts in this book of, of Romans. Uh, but, but this is a great gl- glimpse of that doctrine. you got, have God the Father... God the Son and God the Spirit. And what does the Bible teach about them? They are all equal. They are, all e- they are as our, our standards say, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So, the thing is, we tend to think of the Trinity in this way. We tend to think, well, you got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so you got God the Father, and 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 that's the big guy, and then you got Jesus, who does what the Father says for him to do, and you kind of put him second in line, and then you got uh, the third in line, and that's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does the bidding of Christ, points to Christ does the, the bidding of the Father as well. <coughs> so you kind of got one, two, three. Now, that is uh, what we, we call the ontological trinity, or here's an easier, probably easier way to uh, think of it, and that's the functional trinity, because it's true, that's how they function. And I think that's why we tend to think, you got the Father Son, and the Spirit. And that's accurate. That's biblical. But what we always have to keep in mind when talking about the Trinity, if we're going to be accurate, we can't stop there as if the Father was, is the most powerful, then Jesus is next, then you've got uh, this Spirit somewhere out there. Because then... Uh, what we have is, uh, is really, that's, in terms of the equality, that's the ontological trinity. Their very being. They are the same. So, there is no diagram that is sufficient. But, you know, if you, if you want to have maybe the, the triangle, but then the question is who's on top of the triangle. But they're all interchangeable. Where the, the father is actually... He is equal with the Son, and he is equal with the Spirit. The Spirit is equal with the Son and the Father. And and so it's all interchangeable. So in terms of who they are and their power and their ability, of course, this is one person. That's the mystery of it. But they are uh, all the same To be the same in substance simply means that everything that it is to be God, the Father is. And everything that it is to be God, the Son is. And everything that it means to be God, the Holy Spirit is. So they are exactly equal. So you can, it's okay to think about the functional aspect, how they work, as long as we always remember their very being. And that is that they are exactly equal. So when Paul says the spirit of Christ he is speaking of that indwelling of the holy spirit. Now there are those that imply that once you come to Christ that you've got to have some kind of a, a next experience if you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And often when they teach that, what they're saying is you come to Christ and then you have this this experience, some call it a second blessing, and there is something that manifests out of that and and some teach that it's the, the speaking in tongues. That's how you know you have the Spirit. Well, let's, uh, let's sort that out in terms of, of terms because Paul would have none of that. He says that's not, uh, that's not the way it works. But let's, let's look at three terms in terms of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit. Because as as I talk with folks, I think there's lots of confusion in terms of what, what are all these things? And uh, other, other churches teach things like I just mentioned to you, and, and they might say, okay, well, you've, yeah, you've received Christ, but you need the baptism of the Spirit, and, and it's, it's going to be the second blessing. Well, that's not how we understand the Scripture uh, in that area in, in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, Jesus said, uh, John baptized you with water. I will baptize you with the Spirit. So when when does the Holy Spirit enter into the believer? At regeneration. At conversion. When you come to Christ, as Paul is saying in the verse that is, is, is right before us, If you have Christ, you have the Spirit. And if you you don't have Christ, you don't have the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit enters the believer's life at the time of rebirth. And, And the way to remember that with baptism is even when we talk about water baptism, it is what we might call an initiatory rite. In other words, it is the point where Uh, people receive the sign of entrance into the church. And so uh, that's where the parallel is with with baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is, it's initiatory. You receive Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. And then then we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, this verse shows us that uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. He never leaves a believer. And that's why we have an assurance of salvation, is that the Holy Spirit remains inside of us if we are truly in Christ, if we really have union with Christ. The Holy Spirit remains there. And then being filled with the Spirit that we read about uh, later in the New Testament, um, Paul in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how do we understand what the will of the Lord is? He goes on and says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he, he is telling them that there is something different. The Spirit is in your heart, but then he gives this command Be filled with the Spirit. Which implies that though you might have the Spirit, there are times where you may not be walking filled with the Holy Spirit. And and that is what we are told to do. So we can be dwelt, indwelt by the Spirit and not filled. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Do not quench the Spirit. So there are things that we can do that will keep us from being filled with the Spirit from time to time. You can't lose the Spirit. Otherwise, you'd lose your your eternal salvation. But you can walk. You can walk in disobedience. You can decide that um, worship doesn't matter. I don't need to be around God's people. You can say fellowship doesn't matter to me. You can look at God's Word and and justify doing the opposite of it. Not if you're filled with the Spirit, but those are things that if you do those things, it will quench the Spirit in in our lives. So Paul is using all all of this in terms of mentioning the Spirit to remind him: look, if you're in Christ, you can't act like you're still in the flesh. You can't act like Your flesh is still in charge because you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. Now let me return to an earlier sermon where I talked about the the errant teaching of of, uh, being a carnal Christian. The idea that you can can be a Christian and uh, never show any evidence of it and walk in a fleshly way, but as long as you've prayed a certain prayer or walked an aisle or said the key words, then you're a Christian. Yeah, at least you'll get into heaven. It may be by the skin of your teeth, but, but you'll get in. And we talked about how that doesn't fit with the Scripture. And that's the case here as well. The ultimate test of if you're a Christian is if you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you have the Holy Spirit within you, it will affect every single aspect of your life. Now, how's the New Testament address that? How can you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Well, if, you, if you're in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you have at least one gift of the Spirit that he has given you. Most people have more gifts, but you have at least one gift that he has given you and he expects you to use. And that's something, uh, it's not necessarily just something that you've developed, like a talent, but it's something that God bestows upon you. And then we also read in the New Testament how we know if we've got the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit that is shown. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, not everybody has the same amount of those. Not all of us have those all the time. Because remember, we can quench the Spirit And yet, if you look at that list and you say, I don't have any of those. I don't have a speck of any of those. Well, there's only one reason I can think of that being the case. Is you don't have the Holy Spirit that gives the fruit of the Spirit. But if you do have Christ and you do have the Holy Spirit, there will be some fruit and if you can't, others should be able to identify it in you. That you have, you have this fruit that demonstrates that you have something that has come from the outside, this alien righteousness that has come from the outside that has changed you and caused you to have that. And then further... If you have the Holy Spirit, there'll be a desire for more of Jesus. Prayer. Hunger for the Word. Desire to worship. Fellowship with God's people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If you don't have those, then you you either don't have the Spirit, or you have quenched it to the degree that you have just dried up and, and the Spirit Though he, he dwells in you, is, is not working in, in your heart. Now, don't assume the latter. If you have none of those desires, if you are cold toward all of those desires, the first question you need to ask is the hardest question, and that is, do I even know Christ? Because if the, 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 there's no evidence of the Spirit, on what basis do I think I know Christ? And then another evidence, and this goes back to the fruit of the Spirit, and that is a, a peace when we can't explain it. If we don't have those things I just mentioned, not every moment and not always consistently, but if we don't have them as a rule then we need to ask that hard question. Is Christ living in my heart? So then we, he goes on and talks about the realities of death and life. But if Christ, verse 10, is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit uh, is life because of righteousness. Now let me try to give a paraphrase of this, because it's just reading it, uh, especially if it's a first time, it, it can be confusing. So that first part... Uh, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. Paul's saying, if you're trusting Christ alone, you have union with Christ. Even though your physical body is dying as a result of living in the fallen world. By the way, I give you this paraphrase in the community group questions. So don't, don't try to write it down. Uh, and then the second part, the, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness. Uh, A paraphrase that. The Holy Spirit imparts eternal life, and that's because of your justification that was accomplished by Christ himself. So the whole paraphrase, basically, uh, I I would say is this. If you're trusting in Christ alone, you have union with Christ. Even though your physical body is dying as, as a result of living in a fallen world, the Holy Spirit imparts eternal life. And that is because of your justification that is accomplished by Christ himself. Now let's go back and think about that verse. The, the first part talks about uh, the body is dead. It's, it's not literally. But it has the seeds of death. As long as we're in this world, our body has the seeds of death uh, because of sin being in the world. Now, I, I visit hospitals... Uh, virtually every week. And that's what I see is the effects. Not, Not that that was that person's sin, but because sin is in the world, the whole world is fallen and affected, and that's why there are things like cancer and other disease and other infirmities. But you know what? I don't even have to... I don't have to go to the hospital to figure that one out all I gotta do is uh, look in the mirror and I know Friday uh, I was out uh, doing some yard work and uh, gonna rake some leaves uh, so the reason I did it Friday is I I wanted to wait as long as I could till as many of them as wood would blow away There's something wrong with that? Is that? A, anyway, and now it rained, and the ones that came down are stuck in my yard. So uh, so uh, I rake the leaves and uh, dispose of them. And uh, Connie and I were going to uh, go somewhere Friday night. We're planning to go somewhere Friday night. And I said, I've got to get some ice on my back. Because you know how heavy maple leaves can be, you know? <laughs> really heavy. Well, you know what? H- here's the reality. There was a time I wouldn't have had to ice my back. But now I have to ice my back. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm still, because um, of something I did yesterday, I need some ice right now is the bottom line. Now, those of you that are my age and older, you're all going, "I hear you, man." You know, and and then we fist bump and go, "Oh, you know, that's <laughs> Those of you that are younger, I want to discourage you. It's just life. It's just life. And and you know what this this says is that Yes, this body is deteriorating. We we read in Second Corinthians four sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, and that takes us. It, it connects with the last part of the verse that the spirit never dies; it lasts forever. If the spirit dwells in you, it will dwell in you forever. And death is, and and the deterioration is the last enemy to be destroyed. And after we die, the believer, this is really key, after we die, the believer will never again have to face any of the results of sin that we have to face in this life. Now that's good news, isn't it? And so, when you're putting the ice on and, you know, trying to straighten up and all those things, or I know many of you are facing things way more serious than that. Just know this. That's the way it is in a fallen world. But it won't be this way forever. And that's what we have to look forward to. And, and that's where Paul goes with it and talks about the future hope. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, this is an amazing statement and concept. Paul is saying that it was the Holy Spirit that was there in the tomb of Jesus after he was crucified, died, and was buried. Did you ever think of that? It was a spirit that raised him. I, I don't generally think of that. But he, he deliberately is connecting, again, the, the whole trinity together there. And so Paul says it was the same spirit that dwells inside of us. So as resurrected as Jesus is now, we will be as glorified of a body as Jesus now has we will have. There are common misconceptions that as soon as we die, we'll have a new body. And I understand. I don't ever correct anyone that is going through a loss. But <clears throat> maybe you've said this, or I, I've, I've heard it many, many times when When someone has suffered from a disease or has a a physical affliction or defect when they die, someone will say, Well, at least they have their new body. Well, here's here's the truth if they are in Christ, they will have a new body, but they don't at that time, not right at that time. They will get a new glorified body, but that will take place when Jesus returns and creates a new heaven and earth. Let me just give you a couple passages in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, here's what you know absolutely, and we can say absolutely about the believer, is they're with the Lord, enjoying the Lord right now. As soon as they take their last breath here, they are with the Lord. But they don't have their new body yet. Over in 1 Thessalonians 4, you can sometime read the whole passage, 14 through 17, but... uh, or 13 through 17, but beginning with 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede or go before those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then it says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Here's what it's talking about. It's talking about, uh, we we can have union with Christ here in this life, but we will have a new uh, union with Christ that we could never have had as long as we're in this life. And so there is a union with Christ that will be permanent when either he, he's raised those who have gone before us or he comes back to the earth and, and uh, we meet him. But there's also a reunion with those who have gone before us. And that it will be glorious to see those that we have loved that have gone on before us. And it's right and it's... It's, it's okay for us to look forward to that. But for the believer, don't ever think that's going to be your greatest joy. As much joy and peace as that may bring to you of thinking that you will see someone you loved who's gone before you again, being with Christ will overshadow that so much that there's no way to compare it. And so whatever joy and peace that gives to you to think of that loved one that you'll see again, multiply that by uh, infinity if that's possible. And just know it will be better when we are with Christ. And that will be our greatest joy. The more you get to know him, The more that should be our anticipation we have for eternity. And so getting the new body, it's going to be a corporate thing for uh, believers to experience. So it's not when one dies, they get their new body, and when the next one dies, they get their new body. This will be all of those who have gone before us and all of uh, those who are left on earth at that time that are in Christ will get their new bodies together. And so imagine this those who have gone on before us, who are uh, like we should be, longing for the return of Christ. When they will receive their glorified body and then things that are not the way they should be on this earth will be made new. And so, when you think about the second coming, do it with anticipation. Long for it for us and for those who've gone before us. So with the Holy Spirit, there's three things to leave you with. For the believer, everything in our lives has been altered. In the past, we've moved from death to life. In the present. We are awakened by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us and everything should look different because of the fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit dwelling in us. And for the future, death will be overcome and we'll receive our resurrection body and we will be with Christ forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, will you give us a right uh, patience in this life, but impatience in waiting for the Lord Jesus so that we, we pray for his coming. We long for his coming. And we don't cling to the things of this world, but long to cling to him in person. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.